amount of friends I've gained from this this partnership with my bicycle is next to none. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 15 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist packs surgical gloves with their spare tube. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who has no friends thanks to riding. The podcast, it is on iTunes and you can subscribe by going to semiprocycling.com and clicking on subscribe in the menu. Also, if you like the show, I would love it if you could write a review. And even if you told me that you write a review, because... The worst thing about iTunes is that you have to go around to every single country if you want to read them. So if you do it, send me an email. I'll read it out in the show. Thank you very much. So let's get straight to the news. And what I want to talk today about is Andy Schleck. His woeful season. After fracturing his hip at the Criterium de Dauphiné in June, he was forced to sit out the tour, the welter, the Olympics, everything. It must absolutely have been driving him crazy. It was originally meant to be a six-week recovery. That was the first estimate. And then he went straight back to training in the Swiss Alps after those six weeks. After a week, it started. He couldn't ride again because of the pain in his hip. And it turned out to be inflammation of his hip. And it put him off the bike again for a long time. He has come out and said that the Tour of Beijing is the start of his 2013 season. I think this shows where his head is at. He would be fresh, he would be pissed off, and he would be hungry to come back next year and smash everybody. He's going to spend the entire winter in Spain doing miles. The question is, can he come back? I already said that he's hungry. I feel that he's going to use motivation from this year to push himself next year. We've got to remember, he still is only 27 years old. So my take is... You can't write off a champion. I think he's a champion. It pains me to say this, but I have to admit that I actually lost faith in Cadell ever winning the Tour de France. And then look what happened. Bam, 2010 he wins. So this is the thing. Cadell then was the strongest rider in the peloton. There is no denying that. And the lesson that I took from it is that even when every single person gives up on you, that you never give up on yourself. Andy will be back. Mark my words. And speaking of Cadell... It's still not known if he's over his viral infection that ruined the end of his season and probably ruined his tour. He's been off for four weeks and going off his Twitter feed, there has just been photos of him drinking and hanging out with his fam. It looks like it's been a fun time, but he's going to have a blood test this week to figure out if it is all over and if he's recovering properly. And they're going to base the rest of his season on that. Now, I got a question. I know I just slammed myself for not backing Cadell, but... Is his time over? This is a question that I really can't answer yet. He'll be 36 next season, and really, he considers himself a tour contender. I don't know how long he's got on his contract, but is next season it for him? Should he retire after that point? It seems to me that other things are starting to take priority in his life, and rightfully so. You know, the dude has been running for a long time, like any professional, and got a, a new baby, Robel, and he's lots of focus. I see that he is putting a lot of energy into that. I really wouldn't be surprised if he bowed out of the peloton next year. He could hold his head up high after the last three or four years in the peloton. Since winning that world championship, he's turned himself around. He's PR machine. He's riding. Everything has changed. But that's where it stands at the moment. So let's see what happens next year. 
I'm not going to write him off just yet because I've learned that one already. Let's get to the nuts and bolts. And today, Tuesdays of Terror. I used to loathe Tuesdays. Tuesdays were the day of my solo effort ergo days. Also, always consisting of uncomfortable pain that I couldn't distract myself from. And the fact is, though, Tuesdays were the difference in me maintaining my form over the winter and riding with confidence in winter races. Also, not suffering like a dog when it came to people turning the screws. But Tuesdays consisted of one element split two ways. They were either an hour of power or an hour of speed, but they were done in blocks on their own. I'm going to go through a three-step plan for each to see if they can work for you. Now, a reminder, I'm not a coach, and generally I only did what I was told, but I have picked up a few things along the way. I've broken down some old training programs to get to this point. And so let's dig a little bit deeper in this episode and see if it's going to help you out. My hour of power, well, an hour of power, it means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. This is my take, and I stole the name Originally, I stole the name from a hard club ride that's done in Canberra on Tuesday, and it just happens that I never did that hour of power because I always did my own. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe I'm just antisocial. Okay, so this concept has served me well through many winter months. So what's the theory behind the hour of power? It goes like this. The idea is that all you need is focus quality training for one hour in a week. This is my theory. It's training with high intensity that improves your ability to continue exercise without accumulating lactic acid. So the physiological skill is often the most determinant factor in endurance sports. And the aim is to increase your threshold power because that's what makes you a better endurance athlete. This is why you would focus all your energy in getting the absolute best of yourself out of this one hour. It'll hurt like hell, but the benefits far outweigh the pain. You don't always think that when you're in the middle of it, but trust me on this one. There's no other way to put it. It's a hard hour, and I've always been told, and I always think, to be good at the tough stuff, you have to do the tough stuff, and this is the definition of that saying. Now, the tricky bit here is knowing what type of intervals to include in your hour of power, as training should increasingly take on the characteristics of the goal race of any race that you're aiming towards, whether that be mountain bike marathons or a 160k road race, 100 miles for Americans. That means being certain to make both durations and intensities of your workouts similar to those in the race. So this is where at least one of your weekly workouts, this one right here, should take the combined intensity and duration characteristics of your chosen race type. You want the stress you experience in the workout to approach what you'll be doing and experiencing in the race itself. But for most endurance sporting events, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to do a workout that's exactly the same as a race. And that's where you're trying to squeeze it all into this hour. And it's likely to be far too demanding in terms of motivation and the number of days needed to recover afterwards. I'm talking about a hard Tuesday, a day after a recovery day. So Monday is light or nothing at all. I would take it completely off the bike. But we're talking about Tuesday. You're ready to go. You're fresh. Not fresh, fresh, but you're fresh enough that you can hit your numbers and stay there. 
So intervals and repetitions and challenging workout segments are included in this hour of power. I don't know about your situation, but depending on your situation, the different durations are there to stimulate the stress of your race. For all endurance athletes, though, there are intervals that are common building blocks to getting better at endurance as a whole. But today, I'm going to talk about two types, steady state and speed work. So let's get to steady state, hour of power, and where to start, like with my theory on pretty much everything, what gets measured gets managed. So the starting point is performing a test. So this test is your gauge, your gauge at the start to how fit you are, your gauge in the middle to how you're going, and your gauge at the end as to where to adjust and then reapply when you're doing a whole new block. So number one, you want to perform a threshold power meter test. And I recommend you do a 30-minute all-out test to get your current threshold power. A power meter is the best way to read your average power in the test, and I'm not going to get into it here, but I want to say that power is the best measure of output available to those with deep pockets. Even those that don't, if you can stretch it, do it. A heart rate is a measure of input, and it's not an absolute measure like watts. It's just not as reliable by a power meter. In theory, the aim is to get a picture of the power that you would average with your highest possible effort during a 60-minute race. Joel Freer, the godfather of training, recommends that the average power for this 30-minute solo effort is quite close to what you would do in a 60-minute race. So I'm taking his word for it. Number two is to plan your sessions. Now that you know your average watts, from the 30-minute test, this is the figure we're going to be basing the rest of these efforts off. So you can plan your interval training on these values. And the main reason to use a power meter in your cycling training is to get a better and more accurate picture of the physiological parameters you want to improve. And using a power meter makes it easy to train exactly what you want to improve. So say, for example, you're training for MTB marathons. You want to have a quality workout that focuses on steady state intervals. Now, these intervals are done at your average watts and in this case you would want to focus on threshold power so use our test result to plan the interval training so this means if you hit an average power output for example of 300 watts in the 30 minute maximum test your intervals could look like this three times eight minutes plus two minutes so three times eight minutes at 300 plus two minutes at 150 watts that means eight minutes work with a power output of around 300 watts, followed by two minutes with an active recovery of 150. And you repeat this three times. I've got a list down here because depending on my fitness, I would actually start a season or a block at minimum three-minute efforts and then build up to 15 or 20 over the period of, say, four or five months because starting small and breaking them down is going to put them into manageable chunks. And now that you're doing active recovery in between the intense efforts, you can slowly build this time. So, you know, you're doing the three-minute efforts initially And then here's an example, starting with five-minute high intensity and two-minute low intensity. If we start with the first Tuesday and we do four five-minute high intensity, two low-minute intensities, that's 20 minutes of work at your higher wattage and then eight minutes of work at your low intensity. Now, the next week, we do three times seven 
So that's 21 minutes of work. The week after that, three times eight, 24 minutes. You can see where I'm going with this. So you're wanting to build up and up. It does sound easier in theory, and it is easier in theory than it is in practice. But the idea is that over time, the gaps will be able to be filled in with endurance or whatever else that you're throwing into the training. And so that this intensity will then transform into race performance. This program itself will give you between 20 and 40 minutes at a very high oxygen consumption. Your aerobic engine will love this program and will be glad that these tough intervals are separated into short bursts. The idea is to break it up so it's not painful. It is important to maintain some intensity in the recovery periods since that will help you recover faster. Now, number three is ride your wattage control intervals. Actually do the work. You're going to have to start with a warm-up. 10, 15 minutes where you're gradually increasing your pace to get up to where you're going to be in the actual intervals themselves. Once you've got this, you're just trying to maintain this power. That's why they're steady state intervals. You're just trying to maintain average wattage. Don't go faster than this. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a step test. It's similar to the step test where it's fairly easy at the start. It won't be as easy, but it's fairly easy at the start. So then you get carried away and you start building up and over. A large part of the art form of learning how to train properly is being able to stick at consistent levels. It's one thing to ride up a hill fast that's erratic and your heart rate and your power and it's all over the place. But if you're wanting to put together consistent days, weeks, months, years, then you're going to have to really focus on every single effort to ensure that they are super consistent and you're sticking to your prescribed wattage, heart rate, whatever measure you're using. So you're building power at the specific place that it needs to be built. Anything outside of that is essentially a waste of time. And I want you to think about this. If you kid up, sit down, get prepared, get training, get a bike, do all this, there is no point going to a training session and not getting yourself ready and focused and sticking to what is prescribed. I believe outside of that, it's a waste of time. You might as well not have any measurement equipment and just go out and enjoy the ride. That's the difference between someone that is super focused on getting results and someone that's just going out and just loves riding. It's hard work and it it takes a lot of commitment and focus, but that's when you see the results and that's when I've definitely seen the results in my training and it took me a long time to readapt to the idea that if I want to get the best out of myself and I'm measuring it, then I need to have absolute consistency when I'm working on any interval training, on any hill climb, on anything that I believe is pure quality and make a difference to my bottom line performance. Okay, end rant. Don't hate me too much. I really get pissed off and mostly at myself when I'm kid up and I'm ready and I'm there, but I just can't hit my numbers. Whatever it takes to get into that mind state, it's one of the most important things that, that has to be done. Otherwise, like I said, you are essentially just wasting your training. So once you can nail these intervals, that's when you start getting differences and that's when you can build day after day, week after week. Then after six or eight weeks, do another test. Do another test, see where your wattage is at. Hopefully it's increased. If it's increased, you're doing something right. If it hasn't, then you're doing something wrong and something needs to change. But if it's increased, then you need to readjust all of the levels that you're working at in the specific intervals themselves and do another block. Now, the hour of speed. So I would actually swap out my hour of power for an hour of speed 
in competition phases. So specifically when I had less time to train or I was not wanting to exert too much energy. I was just wanting to increase my speed, my top end, so I'd be able to move quicker with the surges, with any attacks. I'd be able to snap out of corners, whatever it took to get that little last little bit just before big races. So I think it's the best bang for your buck if you are short on time as a separate issue. And again, you need to test this over and over again so you know whether you're improving and you're on the right track. The theory here is that if you can increase your top speed over short distances, your old race pace will become easier to maintain. So you should become a more efficient racer as what used to be, say, a 40 kilometer an hour top average pace over a distance becomes 42 kilometers an hour. So your pace over the long distance should also lift. And this works like the steady state intervals and is based on the threshold theory. Now, the work, like I said, this work is primarily used in competitions where jumps and sprints demand anaerobic efforts. This type of training is very exhausting and therefore it should be primarily used for competition preparation. The speed work in this program is designed to increase your short distance lactic speed efforts. Working with a short to long approach, only working with speed as a guide rather than heart rate or power and going on a shorter, more lactic level to begin with. The hour of speed, well, a half an hour of speed, and I tell you what, it's some of the most pain you can inflict on yourself on a bike in such a short time. I've hopped off the bike after some of these sessions, and I just have not even known what's up. I had to get up stairs from the garage, dead into the house, and that was a struggle in itself, let alone showering, cooking dinner, and doing the rest of it. Look, I'm not whinging about it. I'm just giving an accurate description of how I felt mostly after these sessions. They're gnarly. They're super gnarly. I'm not, I, I'm not the type of person that throws up after, after doing any efforts. You know, I've been pretty close a lot of times. Again, it's important to monitor how you feel with these efforts just as much as the hard stuff, the soft stuff as well. Whether you are getting up to the target speed, whether you feel like you can maintain the speed and how long you can because that's going to have an effect on whether you should be building the time itself because if you're not getting up there for the, say, there's a minute, which is kind of the maximum here, then you're just kidding yourself and you should just drop down to get the best out of yourself. I came across another theory on intervals, which I haven't put in here and I haven't actually used, so I didn't want to get into it, but it sort of worked on what your maximum is. So what your personal maximum is, rather than setting to a prescribed effort outside of that, it's what you can produce over, say, a period of time. It's what wattage you can produce over a period of time and then how long you can maintain that wattage and then you're doing efforts based on 50% of that time. I think that's an interesting approach. It's kind of like the fartlek method, which you're basing any efforts not on a prescribed time, but how you feel and how hard you can go. And then if you're fully recovered, then you go again. I think there's some merit in this, but I, I mostly see the merit in this in being if you're sick of actually riding. So if you're sick, you're having a hard time motivating yourself to do these efforts because they are quite mentally draining. Something like going as hard as you can for as long as you can and then resting until you feel you're recovered and then going again. I think that would be quite mentally refreshing. I don't know if I could do that all year round, but the next time I come to this point where my motivation is down and I'm sick of doing these efforts because they're just driving me crazy because they're hard work and whatever... I think that I will look at something like the Fartlek approach and just see where that gets me. You know, the end goal here is just to have high quality top end for as long as possible. So if you can get that in a new fresh way, I don't see any issues with that. Something is better than nothing. 
Okay, so starting at this one, and the test that we're going to do here, it's not going to be based on power. So the test here is based on a five-kilometer time trial test. So doing a five-kilometer time trial in the first week is to set the speed whereby you'll pace the efforts off. Whatever your average speed is during this five-kilometer time trial, it will determine your speed in the efforts. You'll need to work out 120% of your average speed and then perform your efforts at this speed. For an example, if your speed in the time trial is, say, 30 kilometers an hour, that's your average over the five kilometers, then your interval speed will be 36 kilometers an hour. Your gear selection shouldn't change. Your heart rate should be recorded, but it's not going to be used. It's just going to be used to measure and monitor what's actually happening during the efforts. If we get to number two, planning your interval training. I can give you an example, but it's the same idea here where we're building up over time. It actually doesn't fall into an hour of power. When I do speed, I move it into Tuesdays and Thursdays because it's more like half an hour of power. And trust me, it's pretty painful half an hour where an example here is on the Tuesday you could be looking at five times 30 seconds at the 120% of the time trial speed with 30 seconds rest and doing that twice doesn't sound like a lot does it but I would be very interested to hear people's results if they've never done the short stuff because anyone that's done the short stuff knows it's a real bitch yeah so building from that 30 seconds 45 seconds minutes and then adjusting resting, minute, minute and a half. It's much easier if you have a look at this plan yourself. But I've got down there one, two, three, four, five, six weeks before retesting. And now that retesting, again, if your average speed increases, then you know you're on the right track. So have you got anything from this? Hopefully, this information is going to help you take your threshold power and your speed to the next level. You don't actually increase your power output or your speed by riding around for three hours, doing the Saturday bunch, doing whatever. You need to focus on something very specific in order to get a specific result. If that's what you're doing, don't ignore my rant too much because there is some merit in what I was trying to say, and that is... Learning to focus mentally on maintaining a consistent interval is just as important as training your body to adapt to the efforts themselves. Enough said. Let me know if you have any questions on this stuff, if you want to know more, if you want to discuss what your needs are, I can just talk them over with you. I'd be more than happy to see if this does fit into your program. If you're interested to try it, we, we can just delve into it a little bit more and see how we can get the best out of you when it comes to Tuesdays of Terror. All right, now let's get to the tech hacks and products section. And it's another hack this week. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. You can't mess with this one. This is putting newspaper in wet shoes. It's so simple. It's so genius. If you come home from a ride and you've got a ride the next day, putting wet shoes on the first thing in the morning, whether it's cold or not, absolutely sucks. I live by the theory that I generally hate riding in rain, specifically for the reason that I hate getting my bike dirty. That's the major reason. The other reason is if my socks get wet, I'm done. Simple. Just done. I just hate it that much. But if I do get caught in the rain and I make it home, the first thing I do is grab some old newspaper or news, new newspaper, whatever. I grab the newspaper and I just stuff it in, crumple it and stuff it in as much as possible. And you'll be surprised how much water this actually sucks out of the shoes. And overnight, they are dry. So inner soles out, newspaper crunched, shoved in. It's going to solve all your wet 
sock problems. I promise you, it's brilliant. We can get talking about newspapers, though. Newspapers have a lot of great functions. You, Everyone knows the old trick of shoving it up your top before you're going down a descent. Everyone knows that's why the tour started. But anyway, I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to move on to the quote. Now, the quote from the top of the show, it's Mike Friedman. I don't know whether you know him or not. I don't really know him, but he races for the Optum Pro Cycling Men's Team. Poor dude. Riding has given me many friends. I don't know what he's doing wrong. I can't, I can't give you any advice, bro. Anyway, that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 